Hello, and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. I am Nomi Key Konst. So are you all set for another attack on the Capitol? It didn't happen yesterday, despite the warnings. But maybe this weekend or next week? Sure, why the hell not? It isn't like we have fixed any of these major causes that enabled, encouraged, and ultimately made possible the January 6th insurrection. Sure, okay, Trump is out of office, that's part of it, but that doesn't seem to stop him from peddling lies about the election and much else, and of course the Republicans echoing those lies. So fantasy filter bubbles are still there to stew rage until it bubbles over. And speaking of filter bubbles, what have we done to clean up the mess the tech giants have created? January 6th was brought to you by Facebook, Twitter, and the rest. The insurrection was the logical, maybe even inevitable outcome of their business model. And under the law, they've been given great power with zero responsibility. This is Spiderman speak for Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Publish and let others perish. What's remarkable is that we all know how broken this is. We all do. The Capitol riots just brought the chickens home to roost. And what have we done? Oh, we've held hearings. Okay, sure, hearings are entertaining, especially where baby-faced Facebooked uh, Mark Zuckerberg can be right next to the uh, Twitter's beard, Jack Dorsey, you know, that long beard he has. But hearings are not going to stop this. Structural changes are how to stop this. Changes that make tech companies responsible for who and what they publish. And just as important, make the tech companies responsible for who they keep from publishing and who they block from big audiences. It isn't just that they enable the right, although they sure do, they also undermine the left. Right now we can see how the tech pl platforms are tinkering with their algorithms to tamp down audiences for progressive shows, shows that challenge capital. When you empower one side and undermine the other side, you are going to get an imbalance power. You'll get whatever that imbalance of power gives you, like the January 6th attack. So step one must be new rules holding the tech companies accountable for how they run their businesses. Step two is real action against the neo-Nazis and white supremacists who plotted the January 6th attacks and are plotting more as we speak. The FBI has known for a long time that they are by far the most serious terrorist threat to the United States. So having spent trillions of dollars and millions of lives in a war on terror focused in many of the wrong places, let's put that same energy into crushing domestic terror from the extremist right wing. Be clear, this has nothing to do with free speech or cancel culture or any of the other excuses the conservatives and, and well, you know, the neocons have come up with. This isn't about what they say and what they write, except to the extent that what they are saying and what they are writing is meet on Pennsylvania Avenue and we will go lynch Nancy Pelosi. These are criminals. We are spending a lot of time and attention on the drawings in an old Dr. Seuss book when what we really need to be doing is drawing out these plots against America and shutting them down hard. And, and to think, <laughs> and to think I saw that on Mulberry Street. Dr. Seuss book. All right, well, we have a wonderful show today. We're gonna to talk about the $15 minimum wage uh, vote today, a little bit later. This is Femme Friday. We have Helen Hong, the comedian here. She's gonna be joining us a little bit later, but first we're gonna be talking about, you know, 
what we just discussed with Kaylee Holloway. Uh, we're going to be talking about the rise of the far right and the crackdown on what's white supremacy and what we need to do about it. Um, I, I, you know, it's this news cycle is a little bit crazy, so we have to keep our eye on the prize. Um, and the prize is weeding out white supremacy, in my opinion. So we'll be right back after the break uh, with Kaylee Holloway. All right, guys. So Sunset Lake CBD, uh, you may have heard me talk about in the past. It is a farmer owned company that ships craft craft. That's important. CBD products directly from their farm in Vermont to your door. Sunset Lake CBD has something for everyone. They offer tinctures, gummies, salves and coffee and fudge. There's that too, uh, designed to help with stress, aches, and pains. I will tell you all about that in a second because I used it a lot this week. Uh, it is originally a farm, a dairy farm from the, the Ben and Jerry's. So like not only are they a dairy farm, they're Ben and Jerry's progressive Bernie supporting Vermont dairy farm. Uh, they decided to diversify and grow premium hemp there instead. Uh, customers support sustainable agriculture that enhances rural communities and creates meaningful employment in those communities, their minimum wage is, oh, $15 an hour, <clears throat> Christian Cinema, <clears throat> Joe Manchin. And employees of the company own the majority of the company and they support independent media. That's pretty amazing that they choose to advertise with independent media like our show, the Nomi Key Show and the David Pakman Show and you know those people over at the Majority Report. So I have to tell you because uh, this week I, oh God, I had so many aches and pains. I. Uh, I had a migraine issue uh, that the CBD helped me out with. I took some of the hemp and smoked it. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it on air. Yeah, I can. I can totally say it on air. I smoked the hemp that helped me with my migraines. I get migraines a lot. But two days ago, I threw up my back and I'm sitting here with like a heating pad behind my back right now. The CBD tincture, the, the oil that you put like wherever you want to do, I put it in my tea, I put it in my whatever I'm drinking. It has made a huge difference for my, my back pain. I'm like, it's kind of amazing. I'm taking instead of Advil at this point. Um, it's really made a difference. I thought I would try it out and like, turns out it works really well. I know Dorsey, you've been using some of the products. I've also loved the gummies, which helped me sleep. Uh, the fudge was amazing. I ate it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am a big fan of the gummies and the fudge. Uh, I had a friend who got some of the fudge and they're really excited about it because um, they they can't really deal with like the gummy kind of situation with their stomach. And uh, so the fudge was a good option for them. They really enjoyed that. But yeah, the tincture is probably my favorite also. It's, Amazing. you know, it doesn't really taste like other tinctures, which is a little, you know, sometimes it's a, a too much of, a, of the kind of weedy taste, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, this one tastes great. And yeah, it's like easy. Like I, I just have like a, a shot of it. I just take it in the dropper and shoot it at the end of the night and kind of loosens up my back and everything and lets me sleep yeah. comfortably. So yeah, one of my favorites for sure. The back, I was really surprised actually um, how much it affected my back. Like it really did loosen me up. And you know, I've, I've said this before, I had tried CBD several times and I never felt like it did anything. And I'm really very impressed. <laughs> um, anyways, you guys can try it out. Definitely try their gummies too. They really, really, really help with sleep. Uh, you can use the promo code NOMI, N-O-M-I for 20% off your entire order at sunsetlakecbd.com. Promo code NOMI, you get 20% off for your entire order at sunset, sunsetlakecbd.com. 
we will put that address in the info section on uh, YouTube. All right, we will be right back with Kaylee Holloway. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. Kaylee Holloway is a columnist for the Daily Beast and the Nation. Uh, she had an article at the end of January uh, titled, Are We Witnessing the Emergency, Emergence excuse me, of a New Lost Cause? In which uh, she talks about <laughs> the lost cause after the Civil War in weeding out white supremacy. Uh, Kaylee. Kaylee, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's like California, Kylie. but shorter. I apologize for that. Holly <laughs> no Holloway, um, she's a uh, columnist for the Daily Beast and The Nation. And uh, we were just talking about your article in The Nation uh, from about a month ago. Uh, are, you, are we witnessing the emergence of a new lost cause? So, um, you know, in yesterday, there was supposed to be another uh, terrorist attack on the Capitol. And mm-hmm. now you have the Capitol calling for to the Pentagon to have backup, long-term backup in case there are more attacks that they're not aware of. Um, my opening today, the timing of this was 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 perfect. We had you booked in advance. Was literally about you know we got to do something. It can't just be hearings. It can't just be these ceremonial things. It can't be you know crying out loud and and moving on to the next crises. So you you've outlined what happened after the Civil War and weeding out white supremacy. Um, can you give us a little bit of a brief on like? how that went down. Yeah, so you have this period post-war when you have um, an aggrieved white Southern class, right, that really wants to take what was this fight, essentially to keep black people enslaved forever. Um, and they wanna change the narrative um, to, um, to create sort of, you know, this honorable fight that existed. And also to create the idea that the South, the antebellum South was actually um, this wonderful sort of idyllic place um, and that the real problem was that there was this, uh, you know, overreaching, warmongering North that came in. I mean, it's the ultimate outside agitators story, right? Um, and so that's what we talk about when we talk about the lost cause um, is this idea that there was a victimized class of uh, white folks who were one, victimized by losing their free labor, Right. Um, And who were then that was compounded by just uh, not just the emancipation of black folks, folks, but the enfranchisement of black folks. Right. Because there is this idea that um, race is a zero sum game in this country. And so every gain that black folks make, even the most modest civil rights games have gains have to then be viewed as uh, a sucking or loss of power uh, from white folks. Um, And we have these we watch these backlashes throughout history. Right. So we saw it post reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done a lot of work work around Confederate monuments. And so, you know, you have this effort um, consistently to uh, put up monuments that, again, valorize this fight. Right. And that change the narrative um, and that turn these dishonorable figures who literally were fighting to keep folks in bondage uh, that turns them into honorable figures. Um, and even, you know, the most warped aspect of it for me, I think, is that somehow that get turn, gets turned into this treasonous fight. It literally mm-hmm. was a treasonous fight against the union um, is portrayed as a patriotic fight. Right. Um, and we see the same thing with the Capitol. Right. They called themselves right. patriots. Um, they were largely uh, not largely. They were acting on uh, white grievance, the idea that things are moving too fast, which is what the white backlash that is a part of our history. It's a consistent sort of every time the pendulum swings one way on 
civil rights for, for marginalized folks, not just black folks, but uh, anyone who is not part of the dominant culture. Um, every time that it swings even slightly in that direction, there is immediately a white backlash that sees itself as victimized um, and then uses forms of white terror to demand that that power be returned to it. Um, and it, it's, it's rooted in this fear of loss of status, um, loss of power. Um, this is just the latest iteration of it. <laughs> So after the the Confederacy lost, the mm -hmm. Confederates lost. Um, how how did this come to form? Were there like organizations? How did Link? I mean, Lincoln must have had some awareness during the time. Um, yeah, how did this go down? Well, obviously, you know, you have Johnson. You know, Lincoln is is killed. Mm -hmm. um, Johnson comes in. He is a, a Southerner. Mm -hmm. uh, he is very much a sympathizer with former Confederates. Um, he, he essentially sympathizes with the folks who turn their allegiance away from this country. Um, so when you have the field order that then gave black folks the um, notorious 40 acres and a mule, um, that land starts to get distributed and is mm -hmm. then reseized, right? I mean, can you imagine someone giving you a plot of land to work? Um, you have been, you have given your allegiance to this country. You have worked daily <laughs> for no money, you are suddenly um, emancipated. Um, you are given a plot of land and it is then taken. That land was returned to Confederates. And then we have these groups that sprouted up. I mean, obviously um, we have the Klan that uh, was formed by six Confederate soldiers in 1866, but we also have things like the United Daughters of the Confederacy, mm -hmm. um, the Sons of Confederate Veterans, uh, the Daughters of the Confederacy and Sons of Confederate Veterans both formed in the 1890s. Um, and there are Essential, they exist almost solely at their core to propagate this idea of the lost cause. Um, wow. This idea that, um, you know, the South was and, and had been um, this idyllic place uh, and it's only Northern interventionism that ruined that. And that slavery had been a benevolent institution that it had very many upsides. Um, it's a way of also making Black folks complicit in their own um, oppression, right? Um, mm. if, if Black folks were most content when they were enslaved, um, then things weren't, it wasn't so bad, right? Um, and, and also just this idea that there was this fight for states' rights. Um, right. When really um, there was one right they were fighting for, uh, which was to keep Black folks enslaved. Um, so was that, was that sort of a spin at the time with these organizations? Did they start to pivot and, and make it more about states' rights as a, a, a as a cause at that yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of core Through the organizations, I'm saying. Like, was yeah. it like a, yeah. Yeah, I mean, initially, you know, they, they did both actually start out as groups that were doing kind of necessary work. I mean, the United Daughters of the Confederacy um, used to take the bodies of soldiers that didn't have money who died on the battlefield and they gave them these very modest headstones that their families couldn't afford. We see the shift shortly thereafter as we start to approach the beginning of the 20th century when they then started to, you know, these kind of grand Confederate monuments that we see. Right. Um, so changing uh, what the war was actually about, despite the fact that we have the declarations for the causes of uh, secession, um, despite the fact that there's the cornerstone speech from Alexander Stevens, like we have the words of the folks who were there, right? Confederate leaders. We know why the war was fought. Um, but just to mention how how effective that campaign has been, 
Um, there was a poll in 2015 of Americans, and while 53% of Americans do believe that the central cause of the Civil War was slavery, uh, 41% think it's states' rights. Oh my God. This kind of <sighs> ambiguous fight for uh, oh what's God. often called, you know, freedom from tyranny. Um, and you see that language a lot, right, with the kind of folks who were involved with the Capitol riots, the kind of folks that were involved with the Tea Party. Um, they used, they co opted the language of the oppressed. So they talk a lot about um, fear of being enslaved, right? Mm -hmm. There's this fear that uh, Joe Biden is, um, you know, is a tyrant. Um, and it's, you know, they, the language really doesn't change. But I think at, at its core, it's the idea that there is a certain kind of enslavement and a certain kind of oppression that they are not supposed to experience. Um, that is an oppression for other people. And mm. so that that kind of victimization is um, is solely theirs when they feel like their rights are being taken. Um, I mean, these groups were eventually and their ideas were co-opted in the rhetoric by the the modern day. I mean, much further down Republican Party. Yeah. I mean, but back then. OK, so I understand what the modern day Republican Party's agenda is. But back then, I mean, there's a point where uh, you lost. Uh, what, what's the end goal? What What is it like? Is Is there is it is it just to to feel like they're in power i, I that's what's confusing to me i mean there's I clearly funding you know, this is an early version of the culture wars yeah right yeah the idea is that they were actually on the side of right um oh. that there was something that was very much stolen from them and really inherent to this kind of ideology is the idea that the country is your birthright so, mm. you know, any loss of power is therefore stepping on something that is rightfully yours. Um, and that's really central to the Republican platform at this point. Um, you know, and the appeals that they make, I mean, since, you know, we can talk about the Southern strategy, we can talk about every single way that that is looked, but it's, it's the same idea, stoking this anger that some, something is being stolen back from you, not by the people that are in office who have accrued everything, um, and who are endlessly working to accrue more money and power all the time, but by someone who doesn't look like you or who's, you know, the whole idea that your vote is is somehow inherently illegitimate if you are not uh, white or, or Christian. Um, can we talk a little bit about the statues and how that emerged during this time? Sure, the Confederate The statues. monuments, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think the United Daughters of the Confederacy deserves a lot of the credit for this, right? They put in the most legwork on it. Um, the sons of uh, backbreaking legwork. They get a star. They get, they get three A's for effort. Um, and, and now that's been taken up by the sons of Confederate veterans. But to go back, you know, the, the idea was, um, you know, there was this, at the same time that you have this information war happening, um, you also have a war of terror happening, right? So mm -hmm. we see post-Reconstruction, um, tons of lynchings. We know that there were roughly, I mean, this is a, a modest count. We still don't know the numbers. We're, we're constantly tallying them. Um, but roughly 6,400 people, black folks that were lynched for infractions from not stepping off the sidewalk uh, when a white person was walking towards you, not calling a white man mister, that kind of thing could get you killed. Um, and another tool of that campaign of harassment and intimidation and reminding black folks who had been uh, relatively recently emancipated to remain in their place, mm -hmm. these were the tangible elements of that camp that campaign, right? Like you could literally see them um, mm -hmm. in your town. 
Um, and they were very careful to put them in places of power, um, which is why there are so many Confederate monuments on the lawns of state houses. Um, How did they get that, often... that done? I mean, that's that requires. Well, they did. You know, there's a whole sort of different system, right? So it's sort of a co-opting of public space. I mean, now there are mm. rules and regulations about yeah. what you put up. And, you know, then they would just go to a town. They were often very crafty at raising the money themselves. Um, they were often the wives of um, an elite class. Mm -hmm. So they would raise the dollars themselves. They would talk, talk to the local politicians themselves. They would say, you know, the community wanted to put it in a certain place. It was often on a dividing line between uh, the black and white parts of town. Wow. Um, and they would erect them. I mean, that's the thing is when we talk about these monuments today, um, there's not a, a lot of acknowledgement of the fact that um, black folks didn't have a voice in whether or not these things went up. So when, when we have this idea that um, they went up and there was any kind of um, community agreement on it, that's just an absurd notion. Um, they were put up by women who were really industrious in doing their part Mm -hmm. um, to help the cause of white supremacy. Um, and they were very explicit about it too. I mean, they had, there was a, a monument that was uh, put up in uh, the early 1920s in North Carolina that was specifically an ode to the Klan. I mean, that was uh, on the monument itself. Um, and I've written a bunch about also wow. um, monuments that they are called loyal slave monuments, um, which are generally the blandest looking monuments, but they say much more explicitly and much more loudly, loudly what all Confederate monuments mean to say. Um, they generally have the words inscribed on them and they thank um, you know, enslaved folks for their, their loyalty. Um, they wanted to put up a, a massive, um, one of these statues to um, mammies, the beloved mammies. Uh, in, in, in 1923. And, and, and it actually got as far as Congress and oh um, was almost funded and at the, at the last minute uh, kind of got cut off. <laughs> and and obviously this has become a much more, top, you know, I yeah. feel like much more people are, many more people are aware of this now, but we see bursts of these things going up always as part of the backlash, right? Always after there is any kind of movement on right. civil rights for black folks. And now the Sons of Confederate Veterans are putting them up. Was um, the Sons of Confederate Veterans, that's fascinating, um, that it still exists, but it, was there pushback at the time? I mean, did, were, there, uh, were there white people? Were, were, were black communities organizing? I, I'd love to see what the tension was yeah. like during that I, time. I love, I love that you asked that because I feel like one of the most unattended to parts of this story is that even under the threat of Jim Crow, there has always been resistance to these monuments, right? Um, there have always been... Um, particularly black folks who did what they could. Um, mm -hmm. There was a monument that I worked a lot on trying to take down in Charleston. It was to John C. Calhoun, who was the person who is credited with saying um, that slavery was uh, a positive good, um, not so much as um, a necessary evil. Um, and, um, you know, when that monument originally went up in 1887, the black community around it found all kinds of ways to protest it. Mm -hmm. um, they did it through defacement, um, often, you know, sort of mocking defacement. Um, there's a story of a kid shooting at the monument with a, a tiny pistol um, when it was being taken down, because it was also sort of um, horrific to look at, right? It just mm -hmm. wasn't a, a much of an architectural feat. Um, there's a description of a writer who was there at the scene said there was a crowd of young black boys who, as he was being lowered off the pedestal, threw mud in the eye of um, Calhoun as he was being lowered. And, and, that, and that's, you know, I've seen these stories in other communities. There's always this kind of pushback 
that happened um, that didn't necessarily get very well recorded, but there are instances of it. And also black newspapers often were very explicit in calling out why these monuments were there, what their intention was, um, and that there was always this effort on, on the part of the white South to get back to the antebellum South and to remind black folks of what their place was. So yeah, this is when we, you know, the, the movement that has happened post 2015, particularly when uh, the massacre happened at uh, Mother Emanuel in Charleston, um, that is part of a continuing line of pushback and protest against Confederate monuments that started the moment that they started going up. Um, and, and, but it happened in the North too. Um, how, how did that, like, without these organizations pushing for them, I mean, how, how did these monuments get placed all, I mean, all across the North? <laughs> Well, I think it's, I mean, one, there were Confederates all over the place, right? I mean, there were Confederate sympathizers all over the place. And also, right. there are UDC groups all mm. over the country. I mean, there was a Confederate monument that was just taken down in Seattle that tons of people didn't know existed. There's one on the south side of Chicago. Right. It's literally located in the same cemetery where Ida B. Wells' grave is. My God. Um, you know, there are tons of these in what are now predominantly Black or even were historically Black neighborhoods um, in some of our most quote-unquote liberal cities. So, you know, I think it always is an indicator of the fact that the Confederacy wasn't just you know, a set of 11 contiguous states that happened to believe in slaveholding. It was an ideology that was imported to parts across this country. Um, and, and you know, those Confederates went out and they did the exact same, the co-optation of space that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, they did that parts, you know, at parts near and far, way beyond the Mason-Dixon line. Hmm. So, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about today and, and how we deal with uh, the the rising white supremacy and I hate to say rising but it is it's 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 Absolutely. dangerously expanding and um, facilitated by a lot I mean we started off the show talking about how you know the least we could do is is rain in on these tech companies that are are whose algorithms are boosting it and and have bias and racism and sexism mm -hmm. and 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 they generate off of hate but um, I mean it, it's such a crisis at this point like it, what what do you think are some of the things that could be done uh, culturally, legislatively, organizationally, movement-wise to address this extraordinary um, risk right now uh, to our society? I mean, I think a thing that we could start with is we have known at least since 2015 that the greatest threat, the greatest national security threat in this country was white militia groups, um, white supremacist groups, Mm -hmm. That is not new. And yet, instead of looking into those groups, the FBI spent an awful lot of time focusing on, uh, quote unquote, black identity extremists, yeah. which was just a way of expanding surveillance of any you know, black activists that was involved in liberation movements. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think that there has been at least rhetorically a shift in the way that we talk about that. Um, I would love to see that with this regime change to actually see them pursue that and focus more on that. Um, I, I think that movements have already been well aware of this, right? Um, they have been looking at these groups in a way that, and pleading with the authorities to look at mm -hmm. these groups um, and, and organizing uh, uh, to fight back um, the whole time. So I'm, I'm not particularly worried about how activists mm -hmm. deal with this um, or the people that have been watching um, I'm more worried about the people who should have been tracking this all, of all along, who were telling us to look elsewhere or that there were bigger problems. I'm more worried about those, those groups not doing the work of 
um, making sure that um, those groups realize that there are um, consequences for what they do. Um, because there's always been an understanding in this country that, that white terror um, and, and white anger uh, can express itself any way that it wants. White grievance is justified. Um, so that has to really be the starting point. Um, I mean, now, uh, unfortunately, because of, of these attacks, uh, folks are starting to understand just how integrated white supremacy is in our police departments across the country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as any Republican likes to say over and over, uh, cities across America are democratically led, uh, meaning Democratic lawmakers or city councils, mayors, et cetera. Um, this is like the million dollar question everyone's trying to figure out. What is it going to take for our Democratic mayors to hold these police departments and unions accountable for what is has been actively investigated by the FBI. A broken FBI has been investigating these police departments for years, knowing. Yeah, they put out a report in 2006 warning yep. about the infiltration of, you know, your guess is actually as good as mine. I'm, a, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm actually in the midst of, like, as we're talking, like, writing a piece uh, mm. about um, a specific officer that I'm looking at that heads up a neo-Confederate group. Um, and the Department of Public Safety that he works for is aware of the fact that he is a probation officer. They are aware of his associations. Um, Going back to as far as 2019, activists outed him. Um, They said there was gonna be an investigation, nothing has happened. So, you know, now we're in this kind of, the the conversations being pushed far harder because of what happened at the Capitol. But um, at the micro level, I, I think there's an awareness of both uh, this kind of, uh, I don't even want to call it an infiltration because that would imply that that these folks are hiding. A lot of these folks are, folks are very open um, in their politics. There is an at- atmosphere that welcomes them in their politics. I, I don't know what it will take. Um, this is a conversation we've been having for a long time. It's a conversation that, um, you know, those legislators are aware of. Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I worry, I worry that what moves political mountains in this country, particularly as they relate to race, is tragedy. Yes, and, and but even then, it still doesn't seem to. I mean, yeah. uh, the, the the largest uprising, you know, in, in, in history was this last summer. And what what did these mayors do? Paint BLM on the street? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got said a lot of, I think, um, just sort of misinformation to calm everybody down, that they were actually contemplating ch- changing the way that these budgets looked. Um, and, you know, I live in New York City. Um, there was just a lot of moving of money around, you right. know? Um, so I, I actually, uh, I'm tired. I just, <laughs> I don't know what it's going to take. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm tired of this, you know, having these conversations over and over and over um, because we say the same things. Right. Um, and there is the same, um, you know, sort of, um, we're, we're told again and again that something's going to change and inevitably it never does. I mean, even with the money moving, that's one thing, um, defunding, uh, you know, re- reallocating resources. But doing a, a great goal. investigation of, that's right. you know, the, these cultures of that's white supremacist right. cultures that exist uh, in these police departments and in the military. I mean, exactly. you know, uh, I just don't think that that is, has been a priority, even with the conversation that we're having. And I would love to see that shift, but I, I don't know, aside from tragedy. And as you just said, that doesn't even seem to be able um, to move those political mountains. So I'm not I mean, it seems sure. as if they're, they're, the shame is not. I, it, what really surprised me was when Bill de Blasio's own children were 
doxxed by the police union and he yeah. still yeah. didn't do anything, which I don't understand like what, like how much power do they have over him? What do they have on him that prevents a, you from doing that? I think there's this like policy of appeasement that I see in and capitulation that I see in so many realms to this kind of right wing, you know, aggressive, you know, I, I feel like it's the same way that the Capitol rioters ahead of actually getting to, you know, before the insurrection even happening, we've seen again and again, just this fear of these groups that prevents actual taking of action, right? Either mm -hmm. on progressive policy or in dealing with the kind of problems that are endemic to them. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I don't have the answers. I would, I would love to see it change. And I spend a lot of time writing about this stuff. I mean, I think the only thing is just to keep pressuring these exactly. Democratic lawmakers who, you know, they've been able to ride it for a while without full, intense uh, scrutiny. And, I, you know, hopefully, hopefully that'll shift. We have a mayoral election in, in New York right now, and I think in a couple of other cities as well, major cities. So maybe. Yeah. Kelly Holloway, so Thank interesting. Thank you so much for having me. Love to have me. you back on. Keep yeah, us in the loop absolutely. about future work. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. We'll be right back with Helen Hong. Uh, we'll take a quick little break. Back to the Nomi Key Show. I am so excited to have the one and only Helen Hong on. She is the host of the Job Salute podcast and the Go Fact Yourself podcast. She's a comedian, an actor, a news commentator. My parents love her when she's on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, a frequent character on Silicon Valley, CBS's Unicorn. There's so many things. Uh, go check out her IMDb page. I can't say them all. And she looks like she's in like, like you're in a recording studio. That's a, that's a first. I love it. Oh, you're on mute. All good. It's hi, Nomiki. Hi, Helen. Welcome to my state-of-the-art podcast studio, a.k.a. my bedroom closet. This is your closet? <laughs> well, I still so I still have the bar. Look, the clothing bar. <laughs> and look That's at the amazing. craftsmanship. Look at the craftsmanship. I literally That's bought these sound foam things off of some dude on Craigslist. And I, I command stripped every single one of them myself. And this is an old blackout curtain. Because, you no, know, Miki, when you're as big time as me, you spare no expense. <laughs> You're just like like all these uh, DJs who set up their home studios. They've got like, this is way nicer. Thank you. Listen, and I'm wearing my American t-shirt today because uh, racism. Yeah. <laughs> the topic of our show. Just <laughs> wait. So racism. Spe speaking of racism, because... Um, you know, we have this show on Friday. It's it's Fem Fridays, and we like to remind people, um, uh, you know, just about intersectionality in terms of, of feminism. But um, I, I want to start off with the news of the day, uh, which is intersectional, and it's the fifteen dollar minimum wage that a nice handful of Democrats uh, don't seem to understand is important when the economy is spiraling out of control and the minimum wage hasn't been increased for at this point decades uh so let's let's play a clip of the fabulous senator bernie sanders pointing out that the fight for 15 is a feminist issue and let us be very clear that when we talk about waiters and waitresses some 70 percent of tip workers in this country are women who suffer from three times the poverty rate of the rest of the U.S. workforce. And importantly, and increasingly so, amazingly, during this pandemic, 
Waitresses suffer from the highest rates of sexual harassment of workers in any industry because they are forced to tolerate inappropriate customer behavior. And we're hearing stories where people in a restaurant, guys in a restaurant, I say, well, take your mask off. You want a tip? Let me see how you look. And clearly this is unacceptable behavior. The restaurant industry has some of the highest rates of sexual harassment. In a workplace where 70% of the workers are women and where they rely on their customers to determine their wages because of tips, women are often expected to withstand sexual harassment in order to get those tips. In states where the subminimum wage has been eliminated, sexual harassment has been cut substantially because women no longer have to take that. It's not an all or nothing proposition. <laughs> Pick your feminist. That's what I want you to do, Helen. <laughs> choose choose your own horrible adventure. <laughs> wow. Let's just see it one more time. It's, it's done with so much sass, though. So she, sassy. She's so she's so cute in her abhorrentness. She is so adorable in her troll you know what I, I you know i know that um she's from arizona right yeah i know i know that uh you know there there's different dialects and different uh like slang words for things in other in other parts of the country uh how do you say in arizona uh weak sauce how do you say that <laughs> i think in it's, it's like it's it's um the opposite of, of like cholula it's like bl- mayonnaise <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that I'm not was, the comedian. Come on, that's your job. Kristen Cinema was uh, weak sauce. However, they say it in Arizona, super weak sauce. There, it, it, like Y'all. looked cute, like came out strong, looked like she was gonna be a Cholula, and ended up being mayonnaise. <laughs> no, Kristen, no. Come on, one more time. But she's not alone. She's not alone. I think what's so infuriating about her is that she was once a green candidate. Um, uh, she wrote in the Arizona Republic, this just broke. I don't know, Dorsey, if you have this on screen, it's in the Slack. But she wrote in the Arizona Republic in 2002, uh, a letter from Kirsten Cinema criticized capitalism. Quote, until the average American realizes that capitalism damages her livelihood while augmenting the lives of the wealthy, the almighty dollar, all caps, will continue to rule. Ooh, oh, what happened? How, how far we've fallen. Kier, Chris, yeah. Is Kristen? Kirsten? Kirsten? Kirsten Mayo. Mayo. AKA like- Mayo. Mayo. <laughs> M- mayo dressed up as Cholula. The worst kind of mayo, by the way. Um, I mean, it's unbelievable. This reminds me of like when I was campaigning for Bernie Sanders in 2016. And I would often encounter, this is when he was running against Hillary. Uh, we all remember. And, you know, I would, I would like be out there in the streets trying to campaign for him and like voter drives and stuff. And I would often have uh, mostly white women, <laughs> mostly white women being like, you know, giving me like, no because I'm a feminist. And I wanna be like, bitch, I'm a feminist too, only I'm a feminist for all women of all colors. So go go jump into your Range Rover and STF you, you know? <laughs> like, come on, like, give me a break. Like, just because Chris Kirsten is in her cute outfit 
she's she's not voting for women today. She did not vote. She did not stand for us today in her cute little outfit and her sassy little like her little pose. She really decimated uh, of the uh, of the fight for women today because what Bernie said is exactly right. Like I can't believe every time. Remember going traveling to foreign countries, no, Mickey. Remember when we used I remember to remember that? that? Yeah. <laughs> I, every time I would go to foreign country and I would try to tip, and they'd be like perplexed like what is you left money on the table i once had a, a waitress chase me down on the street because she was like you left your money on the table and i'm like no no that's for you and she's like i don't get it <laughs> because i live in a functional society yes like the whole, the whole tipping concept is like what why are we doing we're the only <laughs> stupid country that does this Tipping. and we learned we actually learned from one of our other guests representative rab from P pennsylvania that it's a legacy of racism of of, of slavery it's a wow. it's, it's racist and it's a legacy Sur of slavery surprise yeah. surprise <laughs> surprise surprise like so many other things in this country is a legacy of slavery and you know and, and anti-feminism misogyny like all of that is wrapped up what bernie said is absolutely right and and you could pick it. You, I could absolutely picture when he said, you know, there are servers out here wearing their masks, trying to do a good job. And these disgusting men are like, take your mask off. Oh, yeah. See your pretty, pretty face or I'm not going to tip you like what? <laughs> it's 2021. Like, why are we living this way? If you go to any other country, not even industrialized country, no mm -hmm. other country ties your like your restaurant performance to, you know, like how how much the customer thinks that you're worthy of getting paid. How you're flirting, basically. Oh, yeah, I remember. I mean, I don't know if you ever served, but hmm. I did. I, got I was a stories. <laughs> oh, my God. It's it's I was a server when I was young, like, you know, during college. And it was to this day the hardest job I've ever done. Absolutely. The hardest because you have to deal with the public and because your wage is tied to how it's like having a hundred bosses a day, <laughs> right? Like instead of having to deal with yeah. one manager, you have a hundred to 200 to three, however many customers you have. It's like having that many managers a day. Like, hi, <laughs> how's my job performance? Hi, how's my job performance? Hi, how's my job performance? Doing that a hundred times a day during your shift. Like, oh my God, come on. It's and so archaic. Like, it's, it's, it's not just archaic. Then there's the back. Like if, if something goes wrong, I remember, oh my God, I have the most terrible serving stories ever, but um, in many ways, but I remember one time I made a very big mistake in which I was a cocktail server at a cigar bar, a uh, fun little story for folks to at a steakhouse. They don't eat meat. And I carried outside on one of these trays. And it was like, you know, remember the trays, like they were good trays and they're bad trays. And this one was a little slipperier, yes. slipperier. And it had, we had those tall, it was a hot day, tall oh, beers. No. I had six of them. Oh no. <laughs> Oh no! And I, I, see where, I see where this is going, no, no, Miki. I see where this is going. It gets so bad. It gets so bad. It was like a table of like thirteen people, <gasps> and it spills on the whole thing. Spills on a woman. Oh! So I'm losing my mind. I go back. I ref of course we're gonna pay for a dry cleaning everything. Like I'm so apologetic because I'm of course that woman who's just like I'm sorry, 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 I'm sorry. So I go back. New tray. <laughs> no, no, no. No. Okay. I thought I know with I thought I knew where this is going and it's so much I'm like, "Oh god." And oh god. I'm I'm Greek and we believe in the evil eye and so sometimes like I think it just <laughs> I went right back. 
tip it's it's everybody who's helping you know that's right in the back as well and and they don't earn as much tip as, as the servers do it's that's usually how it works you know the bartenders uh the back servers the busters everybody that's right and that's what people don't understand if you don't like your sassy little server who spills drinks on you or just didn't look at you right or like didn't flirt with you you're also hurting the rest of the restaurant yes, as well. Yes, because a lot of people, because if you've never served, you don't know, you have to tip out. They say yep. tip out. You tip out the bus boy, you tip out the, the you know, the cooks sometimes. Yep. And some, and and the other thing is, every restaurant is managed differently. Right. So they have the leeway to do it however they want to do it. Some places require that every server puts all of their server, their server money into the same pot. Right. And then we all split the pot. You know, so like you might be having a great day, but that person's not having a great day and you have still have to split, you know, split your, and it, the whole thing is stupid. It's archaic. It doesn't make sense. It's, mm -hmm. it absolutely opens up women, especially to sexual harassment. If you're, if you're like, you know, if you have a, if you're serving a, a group of drunk dudes, oh like God. a table of 10 <laughs> drunk dudes who are watching the game at a bar and they're like, Hey, take your mask off. I want to see your pretty, pretty face. Like. Uh, that's where I would actually go to Lauren Boebert's bar where they're like, you can uh, hold a gun. <laughs> Have you ever heard the story of her, her, her bar in like Colorado where there was a woman being harassed. So we now let women carry guns in a bar. Great. great. <laughs> that's, that's, that makes sense. That solves it. <laughs> How about you just pay fair wages? All right. So on the same topic, um, I want to, I just, if we can put up the, the visual of the eight Democrats who voted down the minimum wage, uh, Definitely want to show that. And, you know, the obvious, the, these are the names of the, do you have a Dorsey? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, sorry. These are the, the Democrats, the Democrats who voted down the minimum wage, Chris Coons, Delaware, Angus King, uh, Vermont, uh, Maine, excuse me, Joe Manchin, of course, Tom Carper, Jean Shaheen, John Tester, Maggie Hassan, two, by the way, New Hampshire senators, Kirsten Cinema, And that is their net worth. N.A. for Kirsten Cinema. He's going to be the, the, the spokesperson for this soon. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. Um, but Bernie's not a Democrat, guys. Bernie is not a Democrat. Let's just go back to that. <laughs> so, I mean, the, I think the, the frustrating part of all this, right, is that what do we do at this point? It feels like shame is not working on these Democrats. And... I think the movement is growing increasingly frustrated with, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of an economic disaster. We haven't raised wages and in, 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 we've been fighting for 15 for a decade. And yet there's nothing. We don't have our checks. We don't have health care. We're about to all get evicted like tomorrow. Helen, wh where are we going? Where, what country are we moving it to? Is, it's it's <laughs> I, I, Mars. At this point, it's got to be Mars because yeah. Canada's not taking us. No, Mickey. Canada's like, sorry, we're not taking, you guys are not sending us your best. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's, and it's a nightmare because like, you know, you know, these Democrats, it's so goddamn disappointing because like, I understand. Okay. It, take the case of someone like Joe Manchin. You know, I get, 
he's from West Virginia, one of the reddest states. He's mm-hmm. a Democrat and one of, from one of the reddest states. Like, I understand if you, you know, for your political survival, you need to vote against a social issue like you're against gay marriage or something. That's something that might actually hurt you in a state like West Virginia politically. Mm-hmm. But a $15 minimum wage? What? Who is against that? Like, what are you talking about? The average voter in West Virginia could really use a, a wage increase. Like, I've been to West Virginia. I've seen footage from West Virginia. It's a mess. They need, they need an influx of, like, higher wages stat in a state like West Virginia. So, like, I just, the whole thing is so insane to me. And... You know, again, uh, you know, how do you say in West Virginia, weak sauce, weak sauce, <laughs> Mountain Dew, not and, the opposite and- of Mountain Dew, dirty water. How about that? <laughs> Cracked gas water. <laughs> but Bernie's Cracked not a Democrat, man. That's it. You got your fracked it's gas water and your, uh, your non-spicy mayonnaise. And uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's something for everybody. May- mayonnaise with a Cholula wrapper, the worst kind of mayonnaise. Okay. <laughs> I, like, what, now what are, how, what are they saying? Like, why are they saying no? Like, do you, oh, like, that's what's the, the general question. consensus? I don't understand because, you know, we, we've talked about this before on the show, how there are big businesses, Amazon and Costco, you know, horrible companies uh, that are, supporting $15 minimum wage now. They've been shamed into doing it. Who is lobbying these people against that? It's not, and, and, and it's also, it's, it's, it's not like they're coming up with an alternative. I mean, $11 was thrown out like over time. This is insanity. We are so far behind in wages. It's, this is beyond austerity. This is basically like handing an eighth of a Band-Aid to somebody whose like spleen is falling out of their body. <laughs> And they like are missing a leg and they're trying to cross the street. I love that you're like, hold on, I have this one left. Hold on. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And, you know, and I have said this before publicly, like everybody's rent goes up every year. Everybody's rent. I I, I one time had a family member was my landlord. (laughs) I was related to this person. He was my blood. And he was like "Mm, 3% annual. Biatch. I mean, you're, like, I you're not coming to dinner on Friday. I know we're blood. That's I know we're blood. <laughs> I'm like, okay, are we going to talk about this at Thanksgiving? Because this is going down. If you're going to charge me a, a rent increase and we're related, you know what I mean? But that's like everybody's rent go. Everybody knows everybody's rent goes up every freaking year, yep. right? Yep. Every the cost of living, the cost of Mountain Dew, the cost of mayonnaise, the cost of Cholula. You know they're not. The cost of Cholula was now what it was five like years seven ago. Like $7 now. It's not. It's not. The cost of may, even mayonnaise, not the cost what it was five years ago. So how is everything, all of the cost of living is going up, and yet we're still be like, oh, we're still at $7.25 an hour? Unbelievable. I, I, I mean, like literally, it's I was It's basically talking- like the coffee that, that they're drinking during an hour of work. I, I, I can't. You know, it's and, kids, and, Helen. It's all kids. It's just kids. It's like teenagers at working at McDonald's. That's all this is. Okay. Hello, 1950s. 
Hello. That was cute in like the fifties or sixties when that actually was true. When a minimum wage was when when minimum wage workers were all teenagers, like making extra bucks to like buy their new bicycle or something. Right. That is not. It's not the nineteen fifties. Hello. It's twenty twenty one. Most people make a very low wage. Adults with families are living are scraping by on a minimum wage you know and that's the thing and it's you know it's it it, it, i can't even i still go back to weak sauce i mean i just i you know the democrats from these states nobody is against the 15 dollars minimum wage and i think we're making the argument that it's going to be political suicide for them you know, if this is something that you can't stand up for, you're not the, the American people are so freaking fed up because most of them are living on starvation wages right. that they put a, 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 a P, you know, a C grabbing sociopath. They voted him into the White House. And what's to prevent him from getting back there again? Because exactly. guess what? The American people are still freaking pissed. They are. And like, I think what's so strange about this is if I were Kamala Harris, who, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess wants to be president. She's run once. She's vice president now. I'd be thinking, huh, what's going to get me elected in eight, four years from now? Like, what, what will be the thing? How do we make sure Democrats stay? I mean, she could if there's one person, maybe maybe Manchin doesn't care, maybe cinema could flip to being a Republican. I don't know what their games are. Like maybe they think they can't be primary. That might very well be true. They may, who knows, but we're going to lose Congress. We'll probably lose the Senate again and we might lose the presidency. And then there you go. Kamala Harris is stuck with being part of a one-term administration that couldn't even pass a $15 minimum wage and fascism is back. And somehow Kamala Harris has nothing to run on. Like just do it for your own ego lady. Like that's what I don't understand. I think like if they because the only reason why anybody, any Republican or Democrat, the only reason why anybody would vote down a minimum wage increase like this is because they are uh, being paid off by by businesses right like they're in there somebody like some business lobby because it's it's only the businesses that would stand to lose Um, some business lobby and it's like it it, you know just just make them wear t-shirts like yes I'm a whore (laughs) yes yes I am a whore sorry that's 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 the bottom line if you voted against this yes you are a whore that's it that's just the bottom line there's no other there's no other like nobody on earth if Joe Manchin on his deathbed is really you know, it, it, it's going to say on his epitaph, I voted against the minimum wage. Minimum wage. <laughs> like 35 times in my life. Good well, for you. And it also shows that Joe Biden has absolutely no leadership skills. Well, I mean. You know, he's not acting like Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson would be like, come over here into the White House while I'm sitting on my toilet. Uh, I'm going to lobby you and you're going to sit here and you're going to listen to me because I'm the president of the United States. And if you don't, you're not getting X, Y, other Z. And then we're going to smear you. and We're going to call you a pig fucker and all this stuff that they did back then. That's what they used to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because they and had balls. They, they, he they definitely. And you could see them on the toilet. <laughs> they had balls on display. Stories. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> 
Okay, before we wrap, I want to just go to the quick thing because this this Bernie thing, Bernie cares about our dating lives, guys. Bernie oh. wants COVID-19 to end for many reasons. And one of them is that young people should be able to have fun and date again. Yes, thank yes! you, Bernie. My clock oh. is ticking. I need to get oh out and God. meet someone. <laughs> Mama needs some play. I mean, come on. This is like, I'm, I'm, I've been wearing nothing but a half-tied bathrobe. That's what I'm wearing right now, Nomiki. That's all I've been wearing. A half-tied bathrobe is all I've been wearing for literally like a year. So but let's make I, it normal for going on dates too. Cause that would be, I think it's a new <laughs> fashion. Well, you know, like the, the men are starting to, you know, explore skirts. Now they're getting why it's so it's becoming a big fashion item. It's, it's delightful. It's comfy. It's let's play that clip real quick. <laughs> you got young people who want to go to school, want to socialize, want to date, want to do things that young people do and they can't do it. And have been unable to do that for the last year, and that has resulted in a very sharp increase in mental illness in this country, something, by the way, that this legislation also deals with. You got young people. And not only just that, love that, there's some statistics out saying that, um, shocker, that uh, childbirth is down or uh, yes. interest. Yes, there's, there's a huge baby bust. Baby nobody's, bust yeah. nobody's doing it. I, I love that Bernie's like, the, the things that young people do, like it, do, they do it. <laughs> young people do it, and they can't do it. You know what I mean? There's no it's do, and it's tr- hello. I haven't done it. I, I feel like you could do it I, this way, you could do it that way, but you know the Zoom. It's not good enough. It's not good <laughs> enough. The one thing you can't do it, you the one thing you can't do via Zoom is it. You just can't. Jeffrey Tubin tried. It didn't work out so well. <laughs> I saw it. Trust me, kids. No. You don't want to go there. <laughs> Nothing is sexy over Zoom. See this lighting? Not cute on the face. Imagine. Ooh, no, not, not. It's the, this lighting is not good for doing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, the, you know, baby bust it, it, it is partially because nobody's doing it, but also because people are freaking depressed. And, and it's like, everybody's like, well, why bother having a baby? The world is like falling apart crap right now and the economy is not strong enough for me to like raise a child all these things i've been thinking about because i'm at that like little sliver where it's just like do i freeze my eggs do i just (laughs) who's the next guy guys like this is a confessional (laughs) my mom's gonna kill me for time i love it no miki do Um, what you gotta do freeze the eggs do what you gotta do keep your eggs fresh i mean i don't really care about that the only viable eggs here are or Cadbury cream. <laughs> so I don't have that problem. It's but um, yeah, but like, you, yeah, I mean, we got to get back to doing it and doing it safely. Like, yes, because people, because, because some of us have been still doing it, but like, you know, wearing a mask while doing it. It's just going to say, not cute. <laughs> it's not cute. It's not cute. It's social distance doing it. All right. Hi. All right. Hi, drop your pants. I'm going to double mask. And <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Fauci, who was, you know, spearheaded uh, the AIDS research in the 80s, and now he's spearheading <laughs> COVID-19. This man is like in between a very weird <laughs> set of pandemics. His resume. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's all tied together. What we're talking about is all tied together, right? Like we, we're dealing with COVID. We need to battle COVID, but also all the ancillary things that are happening, like, you know, COVID has exposed how, what a weak infrastructure our country is in. Like if people 
are, you know, people are desperate for this $1,400 check. They were desperate for it a year ago. I mean, we, there, you know, there's some countries that have been giving their people $1,400 or $2,000 a month yep. since this started. And they're the same countries that don't require tipping. And they're the same <laughs> countries that give all their citizens health care. I mean, hello, can I please move to New Zealand? No, yes. I cannot because they're not taking me. No, maybe right. because I'm American and they're like, no, thank you. We don't need any of y'all. We have a guest on who um, he's American and he comes in uh, every Thursday or run Chowdhury from Germany. And one day he said to us, they're paying for our kids soccer. Football, I should say. Literally, like they're like, here, we know this is stressful. Make sure that your kids are out of the house playing games outside social. Act yeah. Yep. That's I mean... time to leave. <laughs> Helen Hong, we love you. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Go check out Go Fact Yourself podcast. And my new out. my new YouTube channel. Uh, my new YouTube channel is called Old Korean Dad Stories. <laughs> Old Korean this. Dad Stories. I interview my dad. He's so cute. Old Korean Dad Stories. Yes. Oh, I will absolutely check that out. I like... I went last night, I couldn't fall asleep. So I was just looking at videos of my grandfather telling stories. He's passed away, but it was just, they were so funny. And I'm like, I love this. This is, it warms our, our heart. Our old people are, they have like amazing stories. And that's why like I started this channel to interview my parents because they have incredible so stories. And especially now because of the Asian racist attacks on old people. So, but check it out on YouTube, Old yes. Korean Dad Stories on YouTube. Go check it out. Helen Hong, we love you. Thank you so much for joining us. Come back anytime. Thank you. Love to have you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for a great week for joining us for Femme Friday. All right, who do we have here? Ray Lee says 40-year-olds want to date too. I think 40-year-olds are still kids. I don't, I think, I don't know. Everybody should be able to date. Especially, you know, the ones who, who don't have vaccines. All right, Ken M says, much love from a furious Arizonan. Yes, Ken M, I hear you. My family members in Arizona are saying the same thing. Craven James, Kirsten Cinema may want American Americans working for starvation wages, but at least it's a tri-starvation. <laughs> All right. If you don't get that, that's, <laughs> that's Arizona might be hot, but it's a tri-heat. It's a tri-heat. That's good, Craven. Thanks to Professor Harvey K, who's in that live chat on Twitch and YouTube. Big thanks to Mini Doctors, Mini Docs, and Mario for working those algorithms. As always, our YouTube mods, keeping it clean, keeping it safe for everyone to have good discussions. Bob C, Choke in the Orb, and Chuck Diesel. And over at Twitch, we love Twitch. Thanks for everyone who's joining Twitch. We have Dorian Sapiens, A Difficult Truth, Nightbot, Our Means, and Nug Wrangler. We love you all. Be safe, be well, enjoy your weekend. We will see you on Tuesday. Stay in solidarity. <laughs>